Welcome to Young and Sanctified, a podcast that meets on the intersection of youth ministry, faith, culture, and society. My hope is to equip and encourage you as you aim to best disciple and love the next generation. Let's get to it. Well, I am excited to be having a conversation with the Mark O. Stryker. I pronounced that right. <laughs> Um, yes, you did. Except for the V part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Marco, you are a faithful youth minister and have influenced an, an entire generation of youth pastors. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Absolutely. Very kind of you to say. I'm glad to be here. I love uh, love me some Salvation, Ar- Salvation Army youth workers. Amen. Amen. Well, I, honestly, I'm like both excited and kind of nervous to have this conversation just because it's, a, it's such a controversial topic these days yeah. and maybe yeah. even inflammatory. Um, yeah. but it's a, such a needed conversation before we dive into, you the, know, I, it, oh. let me just say something about that because it, that's very true. Mm. Right. And I, I get asked to speak about this, uh, fairly regularly now. I'll explain in a minute. I'm sure mm-hmm. why that is, but, um, the thing I always try to lead with when I'm talking about this is I, I realize like if I met a uh, youth workers event and the, and I'm doing a seminar on this top, anything LGBTQ. I know that the majority of the people in the room, whether they're conservative or progressive or whatever, they come into this topic, a conversation about this topic, unintentionally clenched up, mm, right? Mm. They're, they're tense because they know it's dicey and they're, Honestly, whether this is conscious or subconscious, they're living in this tension between I want to love kids. I mm-hmm. want to do well. Right. And on the other side, they're bracing for something that will not align with what they've been right. told to believe or what they've mm-hmm. come to believe. And again, that's all over the spectrum. I'm not just talking about conservatives. Right. And so Maybe the thing we can do, you and I, and mm-hmm. we'll model this in our conversation is just encourage everybody who's listening, A, just relax your shoulders. <laughs> know that our goal here is not to get you to change your theology. In fact, I don't think that's really going to be the focus of our conversation at all. Um, but we all want to do better with kids. And we all know that these questions of how do we effectively minister to LGBTQ teenagers, um, it's more in our faces today than it was mm-hmm. even five years ago. So, right. so we've, we've got to have these conversations. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that uh, disclaimer. That's such a good insight on how to approach this. Uh, so before we continue in this conversation, I think it's just be important to hear a little bit more about you. I'm sure listeners I've heard your name, maybe even attended like a youth councils or some youth event where you spoke or youth leaders conference, whatever. Um, but just in case they don't know who you are, can you share yeah, a l- sure. little bit about you? Yeah. So uh, 40 years in youth ministry, kind of old. And um, and I worked in a whole bunch of churches uh, across the U.S. Most of that was in junior high ministry, which is uh, still very much my uh, passion. Uh, and then I spent my last uh, 20 plus years in leadership of some youth ministry resourcing organizations, uh, a decade at youth specialties. 
And now I lead an organization called the Youth Cartel. And we train and resource youth workers. So we run like a year-long coaching program. And we publish books and other kinds of resources. Mm -hmm. And I'm a volunteer junior high small group leader at my church. I'm currently leading an eighth grade boys small group on a weekly basis. So that's me. Well, man, I mean, I really, what I like about what you just said is I can see such the, like the calling and commitment to youth ministry that uh, I don't see a lot anymore really we see some people join youth ministry for a few years to prepare them or yeah. whatever it is yeah, or to fill in the gap yeah so <laughs> yeah. I, that's really refreshing to hear your commitment um so you mentioned that your organization the youth cartel um publishes books and so i'd like to yeah. switch gears and talk about one of them um four views on pastoring lgbtq teenagers um yeah. so i'm curious to hear a little bit about why this topic is so important to you and specifically what we're going to talk mm. about today, transgender students, but yeah. also how did your organization come to write this book too? Yeah. Great questions. So the, my story is, uh, my personal story on this is, uh, largely informs why I care about it and why the cartel published that book and why mm -hmm. I continue to speak and write about it. Um, and it, it goes back now uh, uh, 11 years when my oldest kid, Riley, was a junior in high school. They came out to us as bi. And then six months later said, no, I'm not bi, I'm gay. Um, hmm. Riley was at that time a girl uh, and was named Liesl. Uh, and then... Uh, six months later said, I'm trans. I want to transition to being uh, a guy mm. started using the name Riley. And then uh, six months after that said, you know what? I don't think I'm um, actually male. I'm non-binary. Um, mm. I don't think they were using that language at the time, but, or I think they would have said gender neutral at the time. Mm. Um, so, and today, uh, 10 years later, 11 years later, Riley would say that they are um, bi and non-binary uh, and mm. would just fit that under the general umbrella of queer. Mm. Um, so it's been an 11 year journey uh, for us. And for me, I will tell you that uh, the first two comings out, uh, which were about um, uh, gender attraction were mm. mildly rattling for me but not massively but the gender one was way harder for me on mm. multiple levels one was that i just didn't understand it as much um right it, it was harder for me to conceive of uh harder for me to have like an imagination of what that would be like um so it was harder for me to have empathy um, or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, and this is instructive, I think for youth workers, when you're thinking about parents whose kids are coming out or questioning mm -hmm. their gender was, it was suddenly like, I would call it an ontological crisis for me, a crisis of being because suddenly it, it questioned my identity. Mm. Right. When the, yeah. when Riley was saying, wondering if they were bisexual or, or, or a lesbian that didn't have a giant impact on my identity 
as a dad. But what what the gender question was implying, even though Riley wasn't you know trying to hurt me or something, but I had been for 17 or 18 years at that point, the dad of a daughter. I also mm-hmm. have a son, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was the dad of a daughter. I loved that role. And I think I was pretty good at it. And suddenly I was being told, you're no longer the dad of a daughter. Mm-hmm. You're still the dad of two kids. Mm-hmm. But, and so that was a real crisis for me. And I would say that I, as a dad of a queer kid, I stayed closeted for three or four years, probably four years. I mean, some of my close friends knew, but I didn't speak or write about it. Um, and I was afraid, mm-hmm. um, uh, I was afraid of, on lots of levels. Um, and I was confused. Um, and <clears throat> then I had all kinds of shame around that. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I was, because one of my fears was, is this going to negatively impact my work? If people know that I have a queer kid, um, and, um, then I had all kinds of shame over that the fact that it felt like I was choosing my vocation over my kid. Mm. Um, and I will say my Riley was very gracious through all of that and allowed me lots of space for processing. And we had tons of dialogue and we have a wonderful relationship um, to continue to have today. So anyhow, that's kind of how I got into this. I started reading a ton, started having a lot of conversations uh, my wife and I attended a support group for parents of trans kids um, mm-hmm. that was, holy, I only went four times and it was so insanely helpful um, at normalizing this for me, like meeting other parents. I went to that thinking these are going to be a bunch of weirdos uh, <laughs> and I'll meet them and instantly know, oh, well, no wonder your kid is mm confused because you're a freak right um but it wasn't that way at all they were it was 40 parents and they were all shockingly normal way more normal than me (laughs) (laughs) i was i was the unique one in the room um and anyhow yeah so that's how i ended up my the first time i ever spoke publicly about it was at a, a a smaller youth worker event about 200 youth workers that the youth cartel ran um and we had a session on pastoring LGBTQ teenagers and I was one of the speakers and I cried through the whole talk. And mm. it, it wasn't it because I was embarrassed or something like that. It was because I thought I would somehow it was really because of my love for my kid is right. why I was crying. Right. right. Um so uh, anyhow, it's become a little more normative for me. So hopefully I won't break into sobbing tears too, too many times here on <laughs> our, <laughs> our time together. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, about the book, a couple of years forward, fast forward a couple of years later, um, the youth cartel decided that it would be good to publish a line of books that were multi-views books. There's a lot of those that other publishers have that are usually about theological topics. Mm-hmm. And we decided what would be helpful for youth workers is to do some on more pragmatic topics that uh, people have strongly divergent uh, thoughts and opinions on. So this, when we, we brainstormed topics, this was, we knew had to be the first one. Mm. Um, and the challenge on that then is figuring out as the publisher and general editor of the book, I had to figure out, okay, what would four views be and 
who can I find to write those? Um, and I knew that um, I didn't want somebody who, I didn't want some, one of the writers to be just tell kids they're going to hell. Um, right. Yeah. I, that wasn't an, I wanted four views that I thought were all uh, trying to be responsible to the gospel and to scripture. Right. Mm -hmm. So there, so there is a theological gamut, but they're, but they're not um, arguing a theological posture, right. even though you can kind of see it between mm -hmm. the lines. Yeah. We have, yeah. by the way, done five more books in that multi-views line. Now our most recent one is called um, five views on the future of youth ministry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I'm with you on, you know, the personal experience that shifted or made you um, consider it more. My yeah. Uh, recently, like two, three years ago, my sister who's two years older than me came out uh, as lesbian and the Salvation Army is pretty conservative. I mean, we have right. some progressive yeah. branches, but so, I mean, our family was fairly conservative. And so uh -huh. it, it, it wasn't like a bombshell or anything, but it, we all had to take a step back and start considering uh -huh. like, okay, what do we believe? How yeah. do we approach this? And right. I was you know, reflecting with my sister not too long ago, how before she came out, people probably could have considered me a bigot, honestly, because uh -huh. I would, I, I would be that person telling people like, you're going to hell. Like, this isn't right. Uh, so, yeah. so when my sister came out, like it was a complete shift of like, I'm not going to tell my sister that. Yeah. I mean, I love you know, her too can much. Can we just make one theological point here? Yeah. Uh, when is that ever the actual, like accurate theology yeah. <laughs> that you have any, let's say, let's say that uh, homosexual activity is sin. Let's mm -hmm. start with that. Sure. Um, I'm guessing that the majority of your listeners would would believe that to be the case. Um, when do we ever say about any other sin because of that one sin, persistent or not, you're going to hell? That's that's not what we believe about mm -hmm. the gospel. Right. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I, I'm well, with you. I, you know, you, the fact that your story of your sister and mine, uh, my story with my kid, it brings out one of the kind of axioms that I've come to believe about um, ministering with uh, gay or transgender kids or, or questioning kids, whatever it is, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I find most teenagers who say that they're trans are really in a questioning sure. zone, right? Um and that principle is that you cannot develop your uh, practice or probably even your theology of how to effectively minister to LGBTQ teenagers apart from real relationships with real LGBTQ people. Amen. Ideally, yes. people who are somewhere in that, under that umbrella and say that they are Christians or followers of Jesus, right? right? That's right. ideal. Um, or at least someone who was part of the church and, and maybe it hasn't found a place where they can right. work that out now. Right. right? Um, because each of the stories are so unique and different. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we make an assumption about, Oh, this is what trans people are like, or this is what gay people are like, then the next story we meet just doesn't align with that. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm, that's so good. You know, my, my denomination right now, especially in the cent- uh, the Midwest, I was, I was going to say the central territory, but that just means the Midwest. Um, hey, I know that. I know the lingo, man. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the central territory, they're having conversations right now on how to best minister to transgender youth. And so that makes me curious if there are transgender youth part of that conversation of how they can best be ministered to. That's interesting. That's a yeah. para- paradigm shift for me, bringing them in. Yeah. Involved. And it would be great to have a transgender youth at, at the, it, it would also be helpful and, and might be easier to get uh, a transgender adult mm-hmm. who came, came out in their teenage years and mm. can speak to what that experience was like. Mm. Because again, those of us who are cisgender, it's so hard for us to understand this. It's unique to, you know, it's foreign to our brains, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't. Yeah, I've tried. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yes. I don't understand. I can empathize a little bit with other sexuality stuff because I have mm-hmm. a sexuality, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around. So I want to ask a little bit about the book. We just touched on it a little bit. So in the appendix of one that is titled, you write, on the topic of what you call quote, the camp question, which means <laughs> transgender students at camp and navigating yeah. that topic. Yeah. So I'm curious, can you offer any insights on that specific topic? Man, um, how you're can we... just going right for the hearty, the hearty question, man. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, let me first, rec- let me first recommend a book. Sure. Um, and because it, well, I'll tell you why in a second. Um, so, Preston Sprinkle wrote a book, uh, published a book that came out, I want to say earlier this year, but it might've been last year. It's pretty current. Um, and it is called embodied. Uh, Mm. I can't remember the Mm. subtitle, but embodied. And, uh, he is an evangelical, right? So he, if you want to say there's a, a midpoint on, uh, theological spectrum on these questions, he's on the conservative side of the line, but he's research based and he's, extremely compassionate Mm. right so um and he is informed by real relationships with real people um he i don't agree with everything in the book but i think it's a really well researched and i learned a ton reading it he has a chapter on his book is not about youth ministry but he has a specific question about bathrooms pronouns and camps Mm. and i wish every youth worker of every denominational stripe and every theological place would read that chapter because it is, it is excellent in how he addresses this. So it is more than just camps, right? Because it's really questions of sleeping and bathroom usage, Mm -hmm. right? It's right. It's any place that involves kind of more that intimate stuff. So first I would say, of course, this is complex and politically loaded. And I don't mean politically like the U.S. government politically loaded. Also, I'm sure it's that, too, because everything sure, is yeah. now. Um, I just mean whatever you do will have fallout. Um, right. You're going to you're going to anger somebody. Yeah. You're going to alienate somebody. You yep. might have angry parents. Yeah. Right. If you create a safe place to house a transgender kid that's going to really anger some parents who Mm. think that you're somehow condoning sin or making their kids question stuff yeah right somehow that being 
exposed to that will make them gay or make them trans. Right. Right. Um, and if you don't, you'll anger people, too. Mm. So, I mean, it, it it is complicated and it has to be the decisions have to be made with uh, not in secret. They have to be made with the involvement of those who oversee you to mm-hmm. not make the mistake of uh, making a decision like this on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that the first question is know your, know your church and um, mm-hmm. uh, in other words, this, this is a, pragmatic question but it has to be informed by what your church believes right and if you know if you happen to be in a church that says um no transgenderism is completely made up there is no such thing Mm -hmm. well that gives you pretty very little wiggle room on this question about camp sure right absolutely if you're in a church that says (coughs) ultimately and I think there'd be a lot of evangelical churches that would be in this space. Ultimately, we don't believe that this was God, God's creation intention, but we do absolutely want to be loving and as yeah. accommodating as we can be. And I think probably many of your listeners would fall into that category. Then I think the, the answer about a camp thing is, is there a way that we can, in good faith, make an accommodation here? Like, is there a third space? Maybe. Mm where this student that we're talking about and one or two of their friends who are comfortable with this reality mm-hmm. and one or two, probably ideally two adult leaders. Can we create a third, a, a, I want to call it a gender neutral cabin, but you don't have to publicly call it that, yeah. right? <laughs> um, is there a place we can create a, a third space where the people who will be in that space all know it, mm, right? Mm. Nobody's getting surprised. Yeah. Um, and um, it doesn't, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. It's a question of how can we best love this kid, right? Mm. And there's a bunch of questions behind that. Like, for example, even though I'm personally a little more uh, currently, I've, I've moved on this a little more progressive in my own theology about it. Um, I, I would still say to a kid, camp is not the place to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So if a kid is just bringing up a question of gender and saying, I think I'm trans uh, and I want to be roomed with my preferred gender. Mm-hmm. And then I ask, how long have you been wondering this and who knows? And they say, well, no one knows yet. Or my friend knows, but nobody else. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I've just started wondering it. Then I think it's really legitimate to say, look, we're going to walk with you and we love you and we want you here, but camp is not the place to figure this out. Mm. Right. So I, mm. that's a totally legitimate response yeah. to have. But if mm. you find out that a kid has been living a uh, passing as their preferred gender for a number of years, the parents know and are supportive. Then to do something other than that can almost create a whole sense of trauma. So trying to figure out a way, is there a way for us to accommodate this? Mm -hmm. Frankly, I think we all know here in, well, it's 2021 when we're recording this, probably 2022 when people will listen to it. Right. Um, We all know that even just having kids, 
uh, teenagers separated by gender doesn't create the kind of safety of sexuality that we once thought yeah. that it did. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we got blurry lines all over the place anyhow. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and really, I mean, our camps, we need to have camps and retreats and any kind of place where there's sleeping um, mission trips would be another one. Mm-hmm. We need to have a place. We need to be committed to, you know, that showering is uh, private and uh, that changing spaces don't require kids to be uh, mm. naked in front of each other. You know, mm-hmm. all of those, that's just protection for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, not just a kid who's questioning their gender. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Do you, do you think, and maybe this, the chapter of that book um, talks about it. So let's say a late teenager already transitioned and no one would know. Yeah. And they, go, and they, they, you know, go to the camp, they were a male, now they're a female. Yep. Um, should the camp let everybody know, like all the staff or the other parents oh, or something? Wow. Yeah. Great question. No, I don't think so. I, I, um, if that's that, that's not a super common thing in our churches, it is sure. more and more common. Like I, when I went to that parent support group, mm-hmm. there was a handful of parents representing teenagers in the group mm-hmm. whose kids were, had transitioned when they were younger and not even anyone in their, that kid's public school knew they were so fully passing. Right. Wow. So if you had a situation like that, which I think is probably not the most common thing that sure. most of us would deal with, but if you had a situation like that, I don't, I don't know how it, I don't know how it's an expression of love to tell everyone something mm-hmm. that's secret. I, I it, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I probably would want to have a conversation with the parents to make sure that we're on the same page. And again, you're, you have to, get permission from the parents and or the kid that you have to involve your own supervisors because that can't be a decision you make uh, in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if they're fully passing uh, and people don't know, listen, one, another principle, it is never our place to out a kid. Never. It's not our place to out a kid. It is our place to walk alongside kids Mm -hmm. and ask Mm -hmm. them questions and maybe encourage them toward telling more people, particularly when they haven't told their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm rambling, but I would say if people don't know, then it's, it, it's not a loving act to tell everyone. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, Listen, if a kid is passing and people don't know, they are experts at concealing it. Mm. And it's not like they're suddenly going to expose themselves literally yeah. or figuratively uh, at camp. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, it would probably most likely damage any relationship with yeah. like the I individual. Yeah. It's, it's helpful to make sure that everybody understands that I think for a long time we perceived trans- transgenderism as a sexual deviancy. Um, and there's a lot of that still lingering in our collective subconscious, um, uh, Christian or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the research would show, and this is clear in Preston Sprinkle's book, um, 
there is a subset uh, of pe- transgender people for whom it is that, mm-hmm. but it's a tiny fraction of the whole. And if you have kids who are questioning their gender, it is extremely unlikely that somehow sexual deviancy or de- desire to, um, you know, uh, have a sexual experience of some sort it is part of the equation. It's, it's not that it is other sure, things. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know that. I hope people are taking notes. I know I will be later. Um, yeah. the, the last, I think a little capstone for us, or, you know, like the little cherry on top um, is what ministry principles should youth leaders and pastors kind of put in their back pocket or even consider when considering pastoring LGBTQ teenagers. I'm hearing a little bit of it. It sounds like, yeah. And there's an ethic of love that is central for you. Yeah. Yeah. But you could talk about that a little bit. Yep. Yeah. You know, the ethic of love is a good way of saying it. Um, And I'm going to have to start using that terminology. (laughs) It's actually surfaced for me as I really wrestled read uh, both uh, external sources and scripture Mm -hmm. prayed, thought, conversed about this topic that I've come to the conclusion, this Mm -hmm. is no radical idea. It's not like I'm some deeply insightful theologian, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but my sense is God's primary characteristic is love. And so often in our current um, evangelical world, people talk about balancing truth and love. Mm -hmm. Now I am pro-truth, yay for truth. So I'm not trying to suggest that there's anything wrong with truth. But I think love supersedes everything else as God's characteristic and then as something that we should embody. So you're right. That does inform my, uh, my choices as a youth leader when I'm or just as a conversation partner when I'm uh, with people wrestling mm-hmm. with this topic. Right. I would say to your question, the first thing. The very first thing is to figure out what would your initial responses be when a kid talks to you. Mm-hmm. And again, it could be, I think I'm gay or I'm worried that I might be gay, yeah. or it could be, uh, uh, my best friend is gay and I'm mm-hmm. wondering what, or I, I'm not sure that I'm, um, male or female or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the question or statement is four responses that we need to all have memorized and that those of us who lead other adults in the practice of youth ministry, we need to train our volunteers with these four responses. Mm -hmm. They are these number one, thank you for your courage and your willingness to talk to me. It is a scary thing for a kid, a teenager to trust one of us with this information because there's always the concern that they will experience rejection, Mm. right? So acknowledge their courage in talking to you and thank them for that. Mm. Number two, response number two, these are all right in succession. This can all happen in two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Response number two, I want to be really clear. God loves you. Again, a question many of them will be wondering about whether they verbalize it or not. Does this struggle of mine mean that I am no longer loved by God. So head that right, hit that head on, man. Mm -hmm. God loves you. 
Hmm. Number three, we love you. Again, addressing questions that many of them will have. And finally, we want you here. Hmm. So those first four responses, thanks for your courage. Just want to say some things really clearly before we dive into this and talk about it more. God loves you. We love you. We want you here. Mm -hmm. Then there's a whole bunch of other questions, like some that I've already alluded to. Mm -hmm. How long have you been wondering about this or how long have you felt this way? This is really important when it comes to gender questions because I'm, I'm going to oversimplify, but you could kind of divide up teenagers who are uh, wrestling with gender issues in the two camps. One would be those who have experienced gender dysphoria, the feeling that they're in the wrong gendered body since they were about four years old. That's called early onset gender dysphoria. Wow. And that's a common age, about four years old. And then the other category, which uh, has experienced a giant dramatic increase in numbers over the last five or so years is called uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria. And that's somebody who didn't have these questions until their teenage years. Hmm. Okay. And that has, that has gone through like a thousand percent increase. And um, hmm. I will say that the majority of the teenagers you would experience who are asking questions about their gender or wrestling or experiencing dysphoria or whatever it is are, would fall into that latter category, particularly because it's been such a common cultural answer right now. So for example, a youth worker I was talking with um, several weeks ago, she said she walked into a group of sixth grade girls having a, a, a close little conversation, a hush hush conversation and they all stopped talking when she walked in. Of course, we've all had that experience. And, mm -hmm. um, and she said, come on, you guys, you know, uh, you can talk to me about anything. And one of them acknowledged they were all, there was like six girls and they were all concluding that they were transgender. And when she got them to acknowledge why they mm -hmm. thought that, it was because they were all developing breasts and none of them liked it. So they then concluded, I mean, we must be trans because we don't like our bodies. Yeah. Right. So there can be all kinds of reasons. You get a 15 year old boy who's not getting attention from girls and is lonely mm. and, uh, you know, or maybe uh, doesn't fit with boys in any way, isn't any, doesn't fit any traditional male stereotypes, but has some girls that he seems to have much more affinity with can start to question. It's really a normal developmental process right, right. for teenagers, a process that God made, mm -hmm. right? But now there's a, a culturally popular possible answer, right? Yeah. And so for a lot of, I would say the majority of teenagers who question their gender will end up not being trans mm -hmm. and will realize that by the end of their um, by the end of their teen years, into their, into their early twenties mm -hmm. now, but it's not up to us to decide for them. We can walk with them on that journey and ask lots of questions and help them look mm -hmm. at scripture. Although I will say there's not a ton of super clear stuff to look at in the Bible on this. Right. Um, but we can certainly look at um, scripture and read together 
Um, but be careful not to label kids uh, either way. So uh, if a kid is asking a question about gender, even if they phrase it as I've decided I'm trans, mm-hmm. I want to encourage them to hold it as a question, not a conclusion. Yeah. And to explain to them, look, you're in the most significant season of change you're ever going to go through in your life. And you're going to have a million questions about who you are, mm-hmm. about all kinds of area of your uh, areas of your life, not just your gender. Right. Let's hold it all loosely and let's together commit to ask God to inform it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that, that'd be often the approach that I would be taking with mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I really liked about the book in general was just that, you know, it, it didn't really like you in the, um, the introduction just claim like, like you did at the beginning of this podcast was that you're not arguing for any theological, one of those pillars arguing about this, you know, those six yeah. infamous verses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, what I really liked about it is that each view and even in the appendix and in the beginning um, love for youth is primary. Yeah. Right. That's what's really guiding. And, and yeah. it's informed by the scripture, obviously. Um, yes. But I really appreciate how you combine the love of scripture with the love of teenagers yeah. um, to, to come to this. Well, we got to wrap up here uh, soon. But how, so if people listening wanted to get connected with your resources or get connected with you, how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty easy to find. So, I mean, the youthcartel.com is our website. That book is available on our website or on Amazon for that matter. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Feel free to reach out to me listener. If I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really easy. I just sent you a Facebook message and yeah. look at God. Here we are. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marco, for your time and for your commitment to youth and your model uh, for, you know, the, gen- the next generation, which is me to follow. Uh, so thank you so much. You bet. Blessings on you all. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. I do apologize for the long wait. I was supposed to post this uh, a few weeks ago back in February, but life is just getting crazy. I'm moving and all this stuff. So I do appreciate your patience. Um, Next week, actually, I'm going to try to post my next podcast, which is on the topic of Me Too in the Bible and talking about that in youth ministry with an old professor of mine and an old friend. So I hope you check it out. And hey, if you like this podcast, please give it a a review, a good review and send it to someone that you think would benefit from the topics. All right. Thank you. God bless you.